Today on the Matt Walsh Show, uh, we just cannot escape the Mueller report when it comes down to it. And today, Mueller came out and he addressed the media. What did we learn from what he said? Not much, but we'll talk about it anyway. Also, I have a couple of things to say about the media's attempts to tie Ben Shapiro to Nazism. I think there's one point about all of that 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 some people are missing. And so I want to address that today as well. And finally, feminists say that we need to start talking more about periods. Are they right or are they insane for thinking that? We'll talk about that today as well on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, I'm glad to be back. Uh, I hope you all had a wonderful Memorial Day. Mine was was not as wonderful um, given, you know, that I had uh, this little addition to the family. Um, now I'm going to be stuck in this chair for the rest of the day because the crutches are over there. I, uh, I have a sustained a possibly severe leg injury, which pending MRI results might require surgery and months of rehab. And I did all of this um, during my friend's bachelor party, which I know, see, that's the thing that's bad about it. It, it. It's so cliche, you know, that I would come back from a bachelor party injured. Um, we went to Deep Creek Lake in, in Maryland over the, for a couple of days for a good friend of mine who's getting married. Um, known him for probably... 25 years or so. Very, very excited. Very happy for him. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the weekend went well, but I did, towards the end of the weekend, rupture my Achilles, we think. You know, still got to w- wait for the MRI results to come back. But the, the worst thing about it is, well, the worst thing about it is that my foot is swollen like, a, like an ugly foot balloon and I can't walk on it. And I've been crawling around the house for the last three days. Um, but the second worst thing about it is that it happened at a bachelor party, but it's, it's, I have no cool bachelor party story about it. It's not like I, you know, I woke up in a drainage ditch with a sombrero on and a scuba diving suit or something. And my leg was broken and I didn't know what happened. Um, it wasn't anything like that. I was playing pickup basketball. That was all it was. And, um, uh, played a pretty good game, got, caught a couple, you know, uh, got a couple rebounds and made a few points. We only played till 11, so I got like 30% of the points. No big deal. Went up for a rebound towards the end of the game, came down, heard a pop. Uh, kind of like, it's, it's like a pop slash crunch sound. It's almost like if you if you can imagine jumping up and landing on an empty shoebox or something. That's, that's the only thing I can compare it to. And uh, when I first heard the sound, I thought that was a weird sound. What was that sound? And then I felt excruciating pain and I thought, oh, that sound was me. I made that sound somehow. And then I fell into the ground and uh, fast forward, go to the emergency room, so on and so forth. And um, anyway, here we are. Um, a lot of people have asked me, Matt, do you recommend tearing the Achilles? Uh, is it a fun experience? Is it something that you would like to do again? And I have to say that honestly, I don't like it that much. It's not, it hasn't been all that fun, um, surprisingly. I would have to give it a negative Yelp review. Uh, crutches also, I'm not excited about them. I, I always thought crutches seemed, to be honest, when I saw people on crutches, I used to think those look kind of fun. And, uh, but they're not actually, it turns out they, they're not fun at all. Although I did get a few days ago, one of those, or yesterday, actually, I got, uh, went to the medical supply store. I got one of those, um, knee scooters, which is the newest technology for cripples. And, uh, so you can kind of scoot around the house. Now that is pretty fun. So with that, I'll say, when I'm on the knee scooter, I honestly feel bad for you people who have your intact Achilles that you don't get to experience the new scooter, you suckers. Uh, so in the end, maybe I win. All right, there's a lot to, a lot to talk about, um, aside from my medical 
issues. But before we get to that, I want to tell you, today's podcast is brought to you by Vincero Watches. Um, no matter what you consider your style to be, quality, classic wristwatch is something that I think every guy needs. There's always going to be an occasion where you need it because you want to look sharp and impress, and that little nerdy uh, Apple watch, you know, that's not going to do. You're just wearing a computer on your wrist, all right? You've already got one in your pocket. You've got one in your, your laptop bag. You don't need one on your wrist, too. How about just a regular watch? Uh, so that's why we're partnering with Vincero, so you can get a truly stunning watch at even an even more impressive price. Exclusive for our listeners, Vincero is offering an extra 15% off of their exceptionally crafted watches. All you have to do is go to VinceroWatches.com. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O, watches.com forward slash Walsh, and use code Walsh for 15% off. Now, this is our first time working with Vincero, so um, they were nice enough to send me one of their one of their watches. That's why I'm uh, wearing this watch right here. Now, this is uh, called the Chrono S Mate Gray. That's the fancy name. It's really just a gray uh, watch. And I've been wearing it all the time. I've been complimented a bunch of times. If, if, you know, a watch can manage to make me look good, then it can do that for anyone. And so that's, that's the best sales pitch I can give you. So as I said, I'm wearing the Chrono S Mate Gray, but Vincero has dozens of watches to choose from. Um, and I went ahead and picked my top five. You can go to VinceroWatches.com forward slash Walsh to see my picks. And don't forget to use code Walsh for 15% off. Um, go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Walsh and code Walsh for 15% off. All right. Um, well, this is, this is exciting. Robert Mueller spoke today. I said exciting. Maybe that's not the right word. I need to check my thesaurus. Uh, I actually, if I live the rest of my life and never hear the words Mueller or report or those two combined, especially again, I will die a happy man because I am so tired of the of the subject. I thought we were past it. In fact, I was ready to, to do the show today, and then it was announced that oh, Mueller's going to speak. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I got we got to wait, put off the show, got to watch this stupid speech, and then talk about it. Um, because I, I just I don't I get it right. I think we all get it at this point with the Mueller thing. If you're an intelligent person, if you've been paying attention, if you're willing to absorb the facts and form your opinion based on those facts, if you're that kind of person, then you already get it with this. You, you, you understand the deal. Um, and so we don't need to talk about it anymore. We didn't need another, another uh, press conference, which wasn't even really a press conference because he didn't take any questions, but we got one anyway. Um, and according to the media, this was what I kept hearing leading up to the address from Mueller is that this will be the first time that we hear from Mueller since the investigation began. It's going to be the first time we hear from him. Well, call me crazy, but I seem to remember Mueller releasing a 400-page report like a month ago. And so he spoke pretty substantially through that. I, I feel like this is not the first time we've heard from him. This is the first time we've heard from him aside from, besides, the 400 pages worth of stuff that we heard from him. So except for those 400 pages, uh, yeah, this is the first time. And he got up, he basically summarized what was in the report. I'm not going to play any of the clips because it doesn't matter. Um, you can find those anywhere. But I think he was highlighting two things. He was highlighting, number one, that the Russians did interfere in our election. 
important point, uh, one that I think we most of us already knew. And um, uh, two, he also highlighted that Trump was not exonerated of obstruction. This was not a, he, he has not been exonerated. Uh, Mueller said that if they had found solid reason to believe that Trump was innocent of the charges of obstruction, then they would have said so. They did not say so. So, you know, you could put two and two together there. He explained that a sitting president cannot be charged with a federal crime anyway, regardless of whether he committed one. And so they weighed that in their decision, uh, their decision not to sort of accuse him of anything. And he also said it would be unfair to, uh, because if you can't charge a president with a crime, that means there can't be a trial. And so if there can't be a trial, then if you just put those accusations out there, there's not going to be any, there, there can't be any process to figure out if, if it's true or not. And so um, the accused can't really defend himself in the court of law in that case. So they decided it was unfair. And so that's why they just made the decision they did to not really ad- address one way or another, whether or not they think the president committed obstruction, uh, which, which seems to possibly imply that if President Trump was private citizen Trump, they very likely may have charged him with a crime. So what, is all, what does this all mean? Um, I think if we were to summarize, it means that when Democrats say that Trump colluded with the Russians, they're lying because there was no evidence of that. The report didn't say that. Uh, you can't just accuse him of that as if you have information that it's true because you don't. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, but it also means that when Republicans, including Trump himself, claim that the report was a total exoneration, which of course Trump has said many times, that also is just a lie. It's not. Uh, Mueller is the guy who wrote the report and he said very clearly it's not an exoneration, not exonerating him. So that's also a lie. Uh, so people are lying on both sides and, and that's uh, wonderful as always. Now, putting, putting aside for a minute, one other thing that occurs to me, putting aside Trump and Mueller for a minute, just, it seems crazy to me that we can't, that you can't charge a president with a crime. That to me, uh, is, is, is un-American. No matter who the president is, I don't care who it is. I don't care what their party is, but that's one aspect of this that shouldn't be lost. As I said, putting Trump to the side, just this, the whole idea that in general, you can't charge a president with a crime. Well, what if a president commits a crime? Maybe Trump didn't, but what if a president actually does commit a crime? You're telling me that you can't charge him? So the president really is above the law. That to me doesn't make any sense. How is the president any different from a dictator in that case? How is our system really that much different from having a military dictator? who is above the law and cannot be held responsible for what he does. It sounds like we've got a similar system. And um, I think that there's some changes need to be made there. The president in the end is just a man like the rest of us. And he should be subject to the same laws, period. What else is there to say here? I mean, if you, as I said, if you are willing to listen to the facts, and form your conclusions based on those facts, then you've already heard everything that you need to hear with this. 
The problem is that, of course, I think there are maybe four or five people in the entire country who fall into that category. Everybody else, uh, their opinions are going to be formed not really based on the facts, but based on their partisan loyalties, based on how they feel about Trump, pro or con, and that sort of thing. And that's where they're going to form their opinions. And that's probably the main reason why I find this constant discussion of the Mueller report so agonizingly uh, painful. Because it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, 99% of the people engaged in the conversation, they already formed their opinions. Before there was any investigation, before there was any report, before anything, their opinions have already been formed. And it, not based on any evidence or facts or anything. And that's how most of our conversations go about most subjects in this country. That most of the people engaging the conversation, they have, they, have, they have formed those opinions based on something other than facts. And that's why the conversations don't go anywhere. And so I'm going to move on from this one. Um, so I'm a few days late on this, but I, I wanted to mention one thing about it because I think there's an element um, to the Ben Shapiro uh, Nazi story that, that is being missed. So as you probably heard, an, an anti-Semite neo-Nazi in Indiana was sentenced uh, to, I think it was three years in prison a couple days ago for vandalizing a synagogue um, in a hate crime. And he, he spray painted, uh, I believe he spray painted a swastika and other Nazi symbols on a, on a synagogue. Um, and he's going to prison for good reason for, for three years. Now, BuzzFeed and the Washington Post, they both tried to tie the crime to Ben Shapiro, who is of course an Orthodox Jew, um, they both reported that the Nazi synagogue vandalizer was radicalized by, among other people, Ben Shapiro. Now, this, of course, turns out to be totally wrong. Uh, it turns out that the guy himself, the Nazi, never mentioned anything about Ben Shapiro. Instead, his lawyer, in, in one document, throw, threw Shapiro's name into it, claiming that his wife, that the Nazi's wife, read Shapiro or something. And this is obviously just a weird attempt by the lawyer to deflect blame, which makes sense for the lawyer to do. That's, that's the job of a defense lawyer. That's why you hire one, to deflect blame from yourself. And so that's what the defense lawyer is doing. But for the media to take this claim and run with it uncritically is just, I mean, words cannot describe it. There is simply no way that an anti-Semite Nazi would be a fan of an Orthodox Jew and outspoken defender of Israel. There is, there is no way, um, period. It's, it's a crazy claim. And a lot of people have pointed that out, of course. The only thing that I'd like to add to this discussion is just one brief thought. We may think that it seems crazy when the left tries to tie Ben Shapiro to Nazism, um, or, or, you know, any other non-Nazi. They try to say, oh, this person's a Nazi. But it's only crazy when you actually understand Nazism and when you use words like Nazi and Nazism in an accurate and rational way. Now, if that's the, the angle that you're approaching this from, then, yeah, there's no way that you could bridge that gap between Nazism and an Orthodox Jew and try to claim that there's some sort of relationship there. Um, but... But that's not how the left operates. That's what we need to understand. When they use the word Nazi or Nazism, they don't mean it the way that a person who strives for accuracy in their language might mean it. 
So keep in mind that the left has turned Nazism into a broad category, which encompasses, well, it encompasses actual Nazism. So they will call an actual Nazi a Nazi. But then it also includes literally any view or perspective that they find objectionable. So they have, they've, they've broadened this category into oblivion. Um, to take it, you know, it, it's started by meaning a, a, you know, a Nazi is a Nazi. Someone who's historically either affiliated with the Nazi party or someone who now is an outspoken um, sympathizer of the Nazi party's agenda. That's what a Nazi is. But on the left, it's gone from meaning that to meaning, uh, well, a Nazi has become just sort of shorthand for a guy with opinions that I find abhorrent. That's what a Nazi is now, at least in, in a lot of people's minds. So in that sense, sure, uh, Ben Shapiro can inspire Nazis. He can be a Nazi. You can be a Nazi. I can be a Nazi. Half of the country are, are Nazis. The president is a Nazi. Um, because that's what Nazi means to, 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 a lot of, to a lot of people. Just, when they say it, they just mean, well, these are all people who have opinions that I disagree with. I find their opinions terrible. I also find the opinions of Nazis to be terrible. And so they both have terrible opinions. And so they're the same. Um, that's the equation. And, and so that's how you end up with um, in the, in the, again, in the minds of a, of a leftist, you, you end up with a, you know, according to them, there are probably 150 million Nazis living in this country. Uh, and it's very easy to get lumped in there. Now, in reality, of course, there are thankfully only a very, very small number of actual neo-Nazis in the country. Uh, they are a fringe group, a very small group, a dangerous group as we've seen, but, but fringe and small. Um, but if you think of someone, Nazi just means, well, this is someone I disagree with. All of a sudden, they're not so fringe anymore. How do we, how do we end up in this place where uh, the word Nazi has become this catch-all phrase where people who have nothing to do at all with historical Nazism and do not sympathize at all with any of its uh, agenda can can somehow get lumped into that into that category, put under that umbrella. How do we end up this way? Uh, well, I think it's through two things mainly. One is the cheapening the cheapening of language, which is something that I've talked about a lot. Uh, plenty of people have talked about it. Where it's not just the word Nazi. It's there are many words now um, that have the definition of those words has been expanded to the point of meaninglessness. And we could list a hundred words like that. How about a word like human or a term like human rights uh, is one. And there, there are so many. Um, where people, there's a sort of lack of literacy, uh, even among people who technically can read, but they don't. They don't sit down and read books. They read memes and tweets and that sort of thing and text messages. And so their, their, uh, their vocabulary has shrunk down um, considerably. And they only have a few words to use to describe an emotion or to, or to uh, uh, convey their opposition to a point of view. There are only a few words they have at their disposal. And one of those words, if they want to convey their opposition, one of the words is, oh, Nazi. They, only, they have that word and like three others. And so those are the only ones they have to choose from. So we have these, this uh, 
shrinking of, of vocabulary, cheapening of language, and that's what leads to it. And then also an ignorance of history. Uh, we all know the word Nazi. We all, I think, well, I, I was going to say we all know the basic facts of World War II, but that, that actually probably isn't true. Uh, but we all know that World War II happened. We know that the Nazis were involved in it. That's probably the extent of a lot of people's knowledge, and that's the problem. That although we use this word all the time and we refer back to this historical event all the time, how many people have actually sat down to say, okay, let me understand like, what actually happened in World War II? What happened with the Nazis? Who, who were they? What were they doing? How did they come? Where did they come from? How could this possibly have happened? Now, these are very important questions. And they're so important that hundreds and hundreds of books have been written about them. And it's really worth your time to go and read some of those books. A book that I've, uh, I think I've got on the shelf back there, that I've recommended before is uh, The Rise and Th Fall of the Third Reich. Now, when it comes to a book that helps you to understand uh, where Nazism came from and how it was able to take over uh, uh, Germany and, and, and then threaten to take over Europe from there, uh, there probably is no better book to understand that than The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I mean, it's a, it's a horrifying and depressing story, of course, so it's not a fun read, but it's an important one. So my suggestion is, if you're going to go and run around and, and, and use this word Nazi all the time and just throw it out willy-nilly like it doesn't mean anything, maybe it might be worth your time to actually sit down and understand what that word means and who these people were. Because I think if you do that, you're... You know, if you sit down and read a book like The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, you, you would not be able to read that book, put it down, and then go out and so flippantly use this word and, and just accuse anyone of being a Nazi. Accuse Ben Shapiro of being a Nazi. You wouldn't be able to do it. Because you now would have a certain amount of wisdom and understanding. Um, and there's just no way that you would do something that's stupid. So maybe we should all expand our vocabulary a little bit, um, struggle to strive to understand history, understand the words and terms we use and the events that we refer to. Uh, and, and I think we would all benefit from that. All right. Um, okay. By, by the way, do you know who Eric Sol Swalwell is? It's okay if you don't, because nobody does. He's, he's running for president and he's polling at, I think, I think he's polling at 0% last time I saw but he's attempting to see if he can basically grovel his way into the White House. Hasn't panned out so far, but uh, it's kind of, it's, it's hilarious though. I'm, I'm glad he's in the race because he's trying to grovel his way in, doesn't work. And so he just picks, he, he just turns up the groveling even more and more, making it more and more intense, hoping, hoping that, uh, that somehow it will, it will flip the switch eventually. It's pretty funny to watch. Um, here's the latest example. Look at this. Why should another white guy be president? Well, a white guy who doesn't see other identities or understand other experiences should not be president. I do. Uh, and, you know, where there would be gaps in my knowledge or my experience, I will pass the mic to people, uh, you know, who do have that experience. Now, here's the thing about going around parading your white guilt. Uh, it, it's not going to achieve what you hope it will achieve. Because the people who hate white people will still hate you. Uh, they're bigots, and you're not going to escape their bigoted wrath by debasing yourself. 
Some anyone out there who really just hates white men, and there are plenty of people like that, you, you're not going to apologize them, uh, apologize your way into their good graces. Now, I don't even know why you'd want to. I have, if, if there's anyone out there who hates white men, I have, and they don't like me, I'm fine with that. I have, no, I don't, I don't care if they don't like me. I have no interest in being liked by them. I don't want to be their friend. I don't. I, it's, it's if you're like that, I, I just, I don't want to be around you. I'm perfectly fine with you hating me. Um, I'm going to make no attempt whatsoever to make you feel better about me because I don't care. You're a, as you, in this case, as someone who hates white men, you as a sexist bigot, uh, your opinion means nothing to me whatsoever. Your opinion is worthless. It's, it is, it is, it is the, the most worthless thing in the world, honestly. And so I don't care. But if for some reason you do care, you should just realize that uh, debasing yourself in front of them isn't going to work. And then everyone else who doesn't hate white people, the people who are not sexist bigots, uh, they're, 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 they will look at you and cringe. They're going to be embarrassed for you. So you impress no one. There is honestly no category of people who are going to be impressed by this kind of thing. Now, the sexist bigots, um, they might take some kind of, and maybe this is where the confusion comes from, the sexist bigots, they do demand that white men apologize for being white men like Eric Swalwell does. Uh, so they might take some kind of smug satisfaction in seeing you do that. So that's true. But they're still going to hate you at the end of it. That, that part won't change. So you have made them happy in, in, because that they, 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 you've humiliated yourself and they enjoyed watching it um, because, they're, because they're bigots. But the fact that they're bigots isn't going to change. That's the point. So it's just not going to work. And uh, it certainly won't win you the presidency, I'm afraid. As much as I would enjoy having uh, an Eric Swalwell uh, presidency. All right. Speaking of cringe, in this one, this is pretty, this is pretty cringe. I'm warning you. CBS has a documentary out right now called Period. I think the the documentary is just called Period, uh, but then the, uh, or maybe it's Period, half the population has one, but no one talks about it. That's apparently the full title of it. It's like the subtitle. Period, half the population has one, but no one talks about it. And it's a documentary that uh, talks about periods and how periods shouldn't be a taboo subject and we need to talk about it and um, there needs to be less unfairness because it's unfair that women get periods and men don't. And... Um, and well, here's a brief clip from that from that documentary. Um, this is uh, featuring a woman named Busy Phillips, who is famous, I think, somehow for some reason. Watch this. Something that happens to half of the population once a month shouldn't be a taboo subject, I think. I mean, to be totally honest, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but like, if men had their periods, it would be like celebrated. You know, it would be like a holiday. They would get the week off of work and probably the week before and then like the four days after their period ends so that they could recover. I, it would just be a different, it would just be a different, <laughs> different experience. But men do not get periods. Women get periods. Yes, yeah, it's just like so unfair. It's so unfair. You know, if, if men got periods, if men got periods, it would be like celebrated. That's my Busy Phillips impression. Pretty good, huh? I'm, I'm still workshopping it. I'm working on it a little bit. Um, 
So there you go. We need to, we need to, oh my gosh, her voice is just, can, I mean, they should take her down to Guantanamo and have her interrogate suspected terrorists because I would not be able to, if, if I had any kind of secret and she came in with that voice, I'd break in five minutes. I would just tell you everything. I don't care. I'd tell you what, you know, whatever it is. I'll, I'll give up. I'll, I'll just, yeah. Um, I'll betray any secret just to get out of that in five minutes. Uh, okay. So we need to talk about periods more. We need to celebrate them. Um, I've also been told many times, including, including yesterday, as I was arguing about this on Twitter, I was told that it's not fair that products for periods, uh, cost money and are taxed. And, and that shouldn't be the case. Uh, tampons should be untaxed and, and possibly even free because if there were any men, if there were any men only products, uh, they would be untaxed. I was told they'd be tax free if men had men only products, but there are no men only products apparently, uh, because only women have unique sanitation needs. So it's unfair. And, and that's the claim. Let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. Um, I can't believe that we need to talk about this, but but fine, I'm game. Let's let's talk about it. Number one, do we actually need to talk about periods? Now, I I say this as a man, and I understand that. Although, and I, I'm look, I'm just leaving aside the fact that you just heard in the clip there. Well, we, men don't get periods; women do. No, how many times do I have to say it to, to leftists? You're not allowed to say things like that anymore. You can't. I, I forbid it. You're not allowed to say it. You can't, you, that's not what you believe. Remember? That is not your own belief system. How many times do I have to remind you of your own belief system? That's not what you believe. No, you think that men can have periods. Remember? Remember that whole thing? You can't just put that to the side. You can't do that. Uh, no, you, you, you can't. Um, or unfortunately, you can. Now, if, if, if it were up to me, then you, you wouldn't be able to. Uh, if I, if I could impose, you know what? Yeah. If I could impose intellectual consistency by law, if I could force it by law, if I could punish, if I could legally punish intellectual inconsistency, I would, if I could put people in jail for it, I would. That's how much I hate it. That's how much I hate it. When people, when they say one thing here and then they make another argument that completely contradicts that argument, yet they try to keep that argument intact. They try to keep both and just switch back and forth. No, you're not allowed to. You don't think that, Busy Phillips. You, like, don't think that, okay? That's not actually, like, your point of view, all right? Okay, actually, men can get periods. Just, if, maybe I need to ex express it in, in language you'll understand. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put that to the side. As much as the intellectual consistency enrages me with a deep, fiery, anger. I am going to try to suppress it. We'll put that to the side. Okay. Um, so we need to talk about periods. All right. What do you need to say about it? What, what do you need to tell us exactly about your bodily functions? I mean, what is, what do you think the conversation will consist of? What does it need to consist of? How much discussion do we need to have? Because I feel like we do actually talk about it a lot. Now, we hear this, CBS does a documentary. No one talks about periods. Well, first of all, even if nobody did talk about them, great. Who cares? But 
What do you, but people do talk about them. I mean, you just made a documentary about them. There's, there aren't a lot of documentaries about other bodily functions. Where is the flatulence documentary? Flatulence. Everyone has it. No one talks about it. Um, no, so it, people do talk about it. It seems to me people talk about it a lot. Now, ladies, you can correct me, but is, is it not the case that this is actually something that women talk about? Am I just imagining things? Um, now, generally speaking, though, and, and maybe this is what you're kind of picking up on, it is not considered polite or decent or normal to go around in public talking about your bodily functions, any bodily function. It doesn't matter what the function is, especially any bodily function that involves any bodily fluid excreting from any part of your body. I'm not trying to be graphic here, but, but I, I mean, if I have to explain these basic rules of social decorum, then I will. If, if, if anything is happening, if there is any kind of fluid um, exiting your body in any form whatsoever, then it, it, that's not something you need to have a discussion about. Okay, I'll make an exception. If you just got shot and there is blood pouring out of your stomach, okay, then yes, you probably should talk about that to somebody. Like, for instance, 911 and then the doctor. So that is something that needs to be discussed. But for the most part, uh, it's, it's not something you need to go around talking to other people about. You know, if you're, if you pass by someone in the supermarket, you don't need to stop them and say, can I tell you about my bodily fluids? You don't need to. There's no reason. Because here's the thing, the person that you, that's passing by you in the supermarket, they, I can guarantee you 100% of the time, they don't need to hear about it. They don't want to. Uh, it, they definitely weren't wondering when they were, they weren't passing by you and thinking, I wonder what's going on with that person's bodily fluids. I hope they'll tell me about it. They, they weren't thinking that. I guarantee you they weren't thinking. You know what they were thinking? They were thinking, oh, where's the spaghetti aisle? They must have moved the spaghetti. You know, th that's what they're thinking. Something like that. Not about you, especially not about your fluids. So that's the first thing. Um, there are many fluids that come out of many areas of the body, and generally we don't throw a parade to celebrate it. Like, nobody goes, uh, nobody goes, hey, I'm sweating under my armpit. Hey, everybody, look, sweat. Throw a parade. Call the press. Call the president. Say, hooray! Hooray for me! No one does that. No one does it. Because that would be gross and weird. And, and you know, there's a reason why we tend to think of bodily fluids as gross. Um, there's actually a good reason. Now, I know you say, well, we should break the taboo. It's normal. Everyone does it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's actually still gross. And it's important. It's important that we think it's gross. Because... Any kind of bodily fluid carries germs and diseases. And so that's why we have developed this strong desire to clean them and to keep them away from other people and to be sanitary and to sort of isolate those things from other people. Because it, 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 it's, it, that's just basic sanitation. It's basic survival. Um, defecation is something everyone does totally normal. It's also disgusting. And, uh, and there's a reason again, why we think it's disgusting, because if you didn't think that yours was disgusting, then you become a biohazard to everybody around you. So should we break the taboo? No, no, let's keep the taboo in place. That's a very good taboo. That the taboo around, uh, you know, bowel movements. It's a great taboo. I, I'm a huge fan of that taboo.
Because it means that if you've got to do that, you're going to go to a private place, called a bathroom, special little place picked out where you can go and you can take care of that. Don't need to tell anybody. Don't need to announce it. Just go do it. Take care of it. Wash your hands. Boom. Good. Taboo. Great. Um, just the second thing, though. Uh, because this this is you you've probably heard this before about how well uh, you know women women's um, sanitary products should be tax free uh, because a, a kind of a common idea now because it's a, it's a necessity and it's unique to them and why should they be penalized and so on and so forth uh, this again is very stupid first of all toilet paper as we've referenced is a necessity also yet it's not free um, and it is taxed. Deodorant, I would think, is a necessity for most people, and it is not free either, and it's taxed. There is literally an entire industry. There is a whole industry that produces these bathroom products, and none of it is free. So why should women's products be ex excluded from that? So No, you're not asking for equality. Once again, you're asking for special treatment. You want something everyone else doesn't get. And men don't have their own men, you know, men's products, really? There is a whole aisle in any drugstore consisting of men's toiletry products. Okay, there's a, there's a whole aisle of it. None of it is free. We, I, I got news for you. We can't just walk down that aisle and just grab whatever. Uh, Old Spice, just throw it in, walk out, not pay for it. It doesn't work that way. We got to pay for it. It's taxed. That's the way it goes. Um, and by the way, men do have their own unique hygiene and, and, and uh, sanitation needs. For instance, we grow, as you can see, thick beards on our faces. Now, almost no woman does. Some women do grow some facial hair, but almost, almost no woman without the aid of drugs would grow this. I know there are a few exceptions out there, but you know, it, back in the day, they used to be in circuses. Um, it, but almost no woman does. This is a pretty, this is pretty unique to men, right? This whole situation right here. And uh, here's the thing. I'm a big beard supporter. Uh, as you know, I believe in beards. I think beards are great. But I also know that I can't just let it go and and do nothing for, for a month. Um, it's not like with women where, you know, women like to brag that they'll go like a month in the winter and not shave their legs because they can wear pants or a long skirt. Uh, we can't do that with the hair on our face. This is unique to us. We have a unique situation. And um, it's, it's the case for pretty, pretty much any man, with few exceptions, that if, if, if pretty much any man were to go one or two months without doing anything, any form of shaving or trimming on the face, uh, they would look like Tom Hanks from Castaway, and they would be unemployable, they would be outcasts in society, uh, they would look unkempt and, and, and bad, and they'd be judged for it. So... What do we need to do? Uh, that means we need to, many of us every day, we got to trim the beard. You got to shave different, you know, I would grow a whole like neck beard if I didn't shave this part right here. Uh, so, and that's something we have to do every day. You know, it's, it's, it is basically a need that we have in order to remain civilized members of society and to remain employable and all of these other, other things. Uh, women don't have that need. Men do. Yet, shaving products are extremely expensive. Uh, if you've never had to buy male shaving products, they are expensive. And, uh, and they give you, you, you get like a razor, then they give you one extra blade 
And then the blade goes dull in about 32 seconds. And then you got to go out and buy a whole pack of, of new blades. And the new blades cost, you know, $170 a piece. I'm exaggerating slightly, but it is expensive is the point. And uh, we have to do it. It's not free. It's tax. We got to do it. And that's just, that's just the way it is. It's, it's, it, it, am I going to say it's unfair? Like when I'm shaving in the, in the morning, am I weeping? This is so unfair. Women don't have, my wife doesn't have to do this. This is so unfair. No, I'm glad my wife doesn't have to do this every morning. That would make me pretty upset, okay? If I came in one morning and I saw my wife with shaving cream all over her face, you know, doing this, that would make me cry. That part, I'd cry over that. Um, the fact that I'm the only one who shaves, good for me. I'm fine with that. That's just biology. It's not unfair. It's not inequality. No one's being victimized. It's just, it's, it's just the hand you were dealt by, by, by it's just, it's just, it is just the biological hand you were dealt and all you can do is deal with it. All right. Uh, let's see. We have a bunch of emails. Um, don't have time for a lot of them, but okay, we'll do this one. This is a good question from Joe says, uh, or Matt Walsh show at gmail.com is the email address. Matt Walsh show at gmail.com. This is from Joe says, hello, Matt. I wanted to ask you two questions about very polarizing topics. One, what are your top five favorite Western movies? I'm a huge fan of Westerns. Two, what are your favorite root beers? I'm just starting to get into trying different root beers. I'm looking for suggestions. Uh, great questions, Joe. Okay. Favorite Westerns. I'm not going to put them in order. I'll just give you my, you know, five, my five that I like the most, uh, five favorite. So the searchers, Shane, Open Range, Hostels, I'll put that as, as a new one, I'll put that in there, um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, is that five or six already? And then I would also put The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, um, which is uh, not a standard Western, it came out, you know, relatively recently, it came back in like 2006 or 2007, and um, I thought that was a very, with uh, Casey Affleck and, and uh, Brad Pitt as Jesse James. Oh, that was a very good movie too. Beautiful movie. Cinematography is just incredible in that movie. So that would be, I think that's six that I named. And surprisingly, three of my six were made in the last, were made in this century, which is interesting. And then if I could include miniseries as well, I would say Lonesome Dove, which my favorite Western story uh, in, in any medium would be Lonesome Dove. So that would be, it's not, not technically a movie, but I'd put that in number one. As far as root beers, I'm no expert on the subject, but certainly as for mass-produced root beers that you can get at the grocery store, the IBC root beers in the glass bottles are clearly superior to any other offering that you're going to find. And so I think that's obviously the answer there. Um, and... Uh, this is from Tim, says, Matt, I've always been fascinated by other people's jobs. I've always wondered what they do at work. A few questions for you. Okay, I'll try to, I'll answer these as I read them because it's a bunch of questions. How many emails do you get? Uh, it's hard to say. I say hundreds a week. I don't know exactly how many. I don't count them. Uh, do you read them all yourself or does someone read them for you and curate them? Uh, curate them? I read the emails myself, but definitely not all of them. I'd say I probably read about 15% of them. Do you, uh, do, you get a, do you get a few to choose from and then pick the ones that you want to answer? Well, again, I, I choose myself. I, I decide which ones to open based on how interesting the subject line is. And then I decide from there. Um, how do you decide which to pick? 
Well, if it's, it's so, which to pick to answer on the show? Well, if it's a question I haven't gotten before, then I'll, I'll almost definitely address it on the show, um, regardless of what the question is. Even if it's not, it doesn't matter. If it's a, just a question I haven't had, um, like this one. If it's an interesting perspective on something, even if it's not a question, like, you don't have to email me a question. This isn't a question and answer session necessarily. You could just have an, an opinion about something that we, we talked about, and uh, I'll read that if it's, a, if it's interesting and well-written. Um, and, uh, and if it's funny, I'll read it. And, or if it's really vicious hate mail, most of the time I'll read that stuff um, because I appreciate the effort. And that's basically my formula. And he says, how far in advance do you prepare to answer an email? Uh, honestly, as you can probably tell, not very far in advance at all. Like not, I don't prepare at all. Actually, I just, I put down the emails I want to answer and I have them here on my computer. And then I just answer. I read them over once before I start the show, but I don't usually put a lot of effort into it, which is not meant to be a, you know, it's, it's, it's just because uh, I'm lazy. It's the only reason. Um, how big is your staff? Well, my staff consists of zero people. So that's how big it is. Uh, do they work at your house? Well, I guess they don't because they don't exist. So this is my, this is my staff right here. You can see this is me. This is, I'm, I am my, my staff. All right. Um, actually, my staff now, I guess, is the, are the crutches that are on the ground there. Okay, I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, I had a bunch of other interesting questions, including a question about this, this Martin Luther King stuff, which um, is pretty horrific. But I will leave that. We'll talk, because that needs more time to address, and I will leave that for tomorrow, as well as the other emails. Um, thank you all for watching. Godspeed. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Robert Mueller has made a statement, and James Comey has written an op-ed for The Washington Post, and both former FBI guys have made it clear they don't like Donald Trump, and they think their investigations were peachy keen. And I think we should listen very carefully to what they have to say before we make a final decision as to how many of these guys we can send to prison where they belong. That's on The Andrew Claven Show, plus the mailbag. I'm Andrew Claven.